G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. With all the developments around the COVID-19 pandemic, some insights today into the challenges of finding a cure, developing a vaccine or uncovering an effective existing treatment for the severe symptoms. Well, around the world, scientists are scrambling to effectively address COVID-19 It's being described now as less like flu and more like malaria. We might get some clarification on that sort of idea. But that's why you may have heard leaders talking about the idea of repurposing existing medications to ease the impact of the severe symptoms of the pandemic. Well, our special guest today is Dr. Paul Turner, a former professor in tropical medicine and immunology at James Cook University in Queensland. These days, he's chief scientist at Coena and is the developer of a new anti-inflammatory skin care cream. Dr. Paul Turner has his own story to tell, having suffered his own personal debilitating illness from an anti-malarial drug reaction. And Dr. Paul Turner uh, joining us. Paul, a special welcome along to 2020. Uh, Good morning, Neil. How are you? Very well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. Let's start by talking about what you do today, because what you do today uh, has this lead-up to it, and uh, that's where we'll get into some of the conversation around uh, the symptoms of things that people suffer today from uh, from uh, COVID-19, but but what you do today, you're chief scientist at Coena and you've developed an anti-inflammatory cream. Uh, give us a little insight into what you do today before we start talking about some of the background. Yeah, with the, the inflammation has been found to be the, some of the root causes of most diseases uh, that we face, heart disease, diabetes, all these sort of things associated with with inflammation. And um, it's really, uh, you know, my interest is trying to find some solution to try and turn that inflammation off. And it's been a sort of holy grail around the world for scientists and and, and medical practitioners to do that. But uh, I think what we've done here is actually enabled us to put together a group of um, uh, compounds which individually have an interesting anti-inflammatory effect, but put together have a significantly uh, more improved uh, uh, effect on the inflammation. And so that's, we've uh, put that together in a thing called Restoplex, which is what's in the Coena cream. And that is available now through, uh, as a, in using a, a nice cream, moisturizer cream as a carrier to take these to, to the skin. And so it's specifically formulated for people uh, that have highly sensitive skin. Uh, we've had a study showing you the, the, the lack of uh, reaction to people that have highly sensitive skin to it. And it's uh, out there to help people to, to treat their skin and, uh, and stop irritation. 
And I guess right at the beginning of our conversation, because we'll be talking about COVID-19, it's not the sort of medication that people would use when they're suffering the symptoms of COVID-19, although anti-inflammatory issues are no doubt associated with how people might recover from COVID-19. Is that the way you'd sort of put that in a bit of context? Yeah, well, well, I think uh, certainly the cream has has a has a has a beneficial effect to everybody at the moment because we're we're constantly washing our hands and using hand sanitizers, and, and that does tend to cause irritation and dryness of the skin. And so, having a, a cream like Coenia or Coena is a, a, a tremendous opportunity for people to hydrate the skin and also stop the irritation. So it's like an adjunct to help people. Uh, managing their, their life with COVID-19, I think. Okay, well, we'll come back to that and we'll talk about that some more. Let's talk about how you have gone on your journey to develop what actually is a breakthrough when it comes to anti-inflammatories. And uh, this takes us back to a role that you had on an international task force with the World Health Organization, you were looking for a cure for African river blindness and elephantitis uh, in Africa, mm. Asia and the Pacific. And while you were yeah. doing that, and uh, you might like to reflect on this, because you felt that it was a call from God, even from your younger years, that you would work in a scientific field and find a breakthrough. And there you were working in the field to find a cure for these incredibly difficult to deal with diseases. Take us back to those days and the work you were doing, Paul. Well, I think growing up, I was always a frustration to most people. Um, because whenever I saw an issue, I would always say there was there's an, there's a better way of doing it. And when I was at school, that was called being disruptive and um, not looked on in, in a negative way. But I think this is a, a, a God-given gift to me that, to, to, to understand what's going on, trying to reframe uh, the way we look at things in a new way. And a friend of mine uh, talks about this as being holographic insight because you're not looking at from one one plane. You're looking at a problem from many planes around you. And so that that capacity is what's an, uh, I, I think has enabled me to look at things a little bit differently. Um, but as far as the uh, river blindness or onchocerciasis in Africa, um, we were working uh, many years ago trying to find solutions, but it's. It's a devastating disease in, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And you can get up to 60% of a village actually blind from river blindness. So it's, a, it's quite an economically devastating disease as well. But there were treatments for it, but the problem with the treatments actually caused death in some people. And so it was, even though there was a treatment out there, they wouldn't use it because of the, the, the really bad side effects associated with it. Okay. And I was looking into that, and I understood this to be inflammation. And at the time, that was pretty controversial. A lot of people didn't accept that. Uh, but I had an advocate for me at uh, the Australian National University in Canberra with a, a guy called Dr Ian Clark. And he was the first man to, uh, to recognise that death from malaria is caused by inflammation and not necessarily the parasite. And so he was really in tune with, um, with my story regarding onchocerciasis. 
And, uh, and so I put in place some research projects uh, administered by the National Institute of Health in Washington to look at this, and we came up with a solution which is absolutely fantastic. Okay, so you did in fact, uh, you were in fact a part of some breakthroughs there, but the yeah. way that you came to the scientific conclusion about how you might treat those issues around African river blindness and elephantitis uh, mm. was through this whole issue of uh, inflammation being a cause. As you say, the scientific yeah. community at the day poo-pooed the idea and said the, that's, you know, that's not uh, something that's in the scientific thinking. But then you, in fact, contracted malaria yourself. Uh, give us some insight here into what that did to you uh, when you were working on these ideas of finding solutions. Yeah, well, I think uh, we talk in many terms of being light bulb moments in life, and I, and I think there aren't light bulb moments. There are actually long tricks. And I think the, the work in Burkina Faso and other places was part of that trick to find some solutions. And people along the way, like Dr. Clark from ANU and, the, and the, the, uh, my friend from NIH in Washington, were pivotal about into, into the future of me finding a solution to my problem of, mal of malaria. And so moving forward a little bit, when I got malaria, I took the best, what I saw, the best medication to treat uh, malaria at the time, which is called mefloquine. And it's a very uh, strong anti-malaria. You just take it once a week. Uh, but the treatment dose for it is actually you take six weeks of this drug in one day. So just happened that I, the treatment I took, I took in Canberra near the ANU because I was going to ANU at that time. Yep. And so I, I took the medication and the next morning I was, I thought I'd had a, a stroke. I, I just couldn't see out of one eye and I was falling over and really quite quite ill. And I went to see Dr. Clark again and he, he informed me that this is a major problem with with mefloquine and there are there are serious side effects associated with mental health associated with it. Okay. And I so, wonder sorry, go on. I was going to say I wonder in talking through these issues today uh, when you have these sorts of reactions to medication, uh, when we talk about what's currently happening in the world, uh, given that you're a professor, a professor uh, of uh, tropical medicine and immunology, uh, when we yeah. when we hear of uh, leaders talking about uh, these sorts of um, uh, anti-malarial drugs that can be repurposed to use today, they're not without risks, are they? Because these sorts of downsides you're talking about can can accompany use of any of those drugs. Yeah, but it, it, it's um, we're repurposing medication, which I think is is the key to the way forward we go with medications. To produce a new medication from scratch takes about 10 years and probably you know, many billions of dollars. Um, and what that does, it actually delays, obviously, the production or, or delivery of that medication. And it also um, you know, makes it so cost prohibitive that it's not suitable for less developed countries. But with a situation like this, we can't afford to wait 10 years for a solution. We can't. We, we need something now. And so what we do, what 
scientists do is actually look back and say, well, what medication do we have do we have it there now that we know what it does? We know what the uh, the, the, the the risk profile of it. We know what the uh, the side effects it gives to patients. And so a lot of the work that's done in that 10-year period is condensed because we know all that information about it. And so we can then start using it much quicker and at a much uh, reduced rate cost than, than what it is at the moment. And so I think repurposing is, is a fantastic way to do that. And that's exactly what we've done with Kalina. We've actually looked at four molecules which have been around for a long time a known profile as far as what it does. It, uh, we know uh, the, the safety profile, and we put them together in, in a carrier to produce a cream. So we're, I suppose, in some ways at the cutting edge of what the new science is in pharmaceutical, which is repurposing medication. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us, the Tuesday edition of 2020. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Paul Turner, a former professor in tropical medicine and immunology at James Cook University in Queensland, these days chief scientist at Coena, uh, developed a new anti-inflammatory skin care cream. So we're talking through dimensions of what science might see as the process of finding solutions when it comes to COVID-19. You're welcome to be a part of our conversation. You might have a question or a comment. Uh, 1-800-316-316. There's also a question on Facebook that says, Are scientists heroes of the state? or instruments of God when they make breakthrough discoveries. Now, before we take any calls, uh, Paul, that question that I've got on Facebook there, uh, the idea scientists, heroes of the state, and otherwise the idea of a secular state, which says science is separate from religion, science separate from God, uh, or are scientists instruments of God? And there might be a general sense or there might be a more specific sense about that, but uh, what are you, what's your initial uh, reaction to the question that we're asking today? Well, I think it's, I think certainly uh, as an instrument of God. I mean, I'm, I'm, my thoughts and and particularly with, with the inflammatory thing, it was a definite call from God to say, "Remember inflammation." When I was sitting there with my depression and I was in a very dark situation, um, you know, I really felt a clear uh, speak from God to say, "This is about inflammation." And and in that circumstance, it goes beyond your own personal ordeal, your own personal crisis, because what God prepares within you as a young man and uh, studying science and being involved in the research that you were, and then suffering through the reaction to the anti-malarial treatment, uh, to go into yeah. uh, you know a long time of clinical depression, uh, the preparation yeah. for the light bulb moment, and we'll call that a inspiration or revelation moment, uh, where God yeah. drops something into your spirit. Uh, that's a sort. That's a powerful thing to contemplate as to where did that thought come from. Yeah, and I, and I think that the, the incredible thing for me is that thought was totally against all scientific thinking at that time. So when we first thought about depression being inflammatory, uh, it was really a, an unknown situation. And most um, health professionals I talked to about it were, were totally against the idea. Um, and it, wasn't, it was only from my colleague, friend at ANU, and myself, that we, we developed this idea about inflammation and, and, and depression. Let's take a call so, or two. So God, yep. God's ahead of the situation. He, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly the solution. 
And it's just a question of being open to that leading. And a powerful insight there when we think of what is happening in the world today. The world is in crisis. Scientists are scrambling for solutions. Uh, But God is not out of the picture and uh, he is a part of the solution. And uh, I guess when we pray, we're actually asking God to unlock that solution and please do it quickly. Uh, so we're, yeah. we're taking calls here, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take a call or two from listeners and find out uh, what they're feeling. Here's uh, Rob. Rob's in Caloundra in Queensland. Hi, Rob. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Nice to talk to you. <sighs> Wonderful to have you on, Rob. And what are your thoughts for our conversation today? Well, it's interesting. I have a major inflammatory problem. I mean, I must say, five years ago, I underwent eight cycles of chemotherapy, so that didn't do my immune system much good. I went to the doctor yesterday. He's more or less trying this and trying that. The last thing he tried was Salone, which is a which is a steroid, which had devastating effects, shall we say, on my elimination process. So I'm very interested in the cream that Dr. Turner, who's obviously a great man, has invented with help. And how do you spell that? for a start and where is it available <laughs> okay well i'll help with the spelling and then uh, and then uh, dr paul turner can tell you all about the cream it's k-o-e-n-a k-o-e-n-a n-a that's n for neil so uh, well, n for neil so it's <laughs> a-zero-e-n-a k-k-o-e-n-a yep Okay, well, wonderful. And where is this available? Okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll bring in uh, Dr. Paul Turner, uh, someone who uh, really does need to know something about this in anti-inflammatory cream. Uh, what are your insights for Rob in Calandra? Well, I can certainly tell you where you get it. At the moment, it's online. You can get it up from coena.com.au and you can see all the, the background to the, to the product and that on, online. Um, we, we're producing a special for today for people from Vision uh, FM and uh, there's a special um, discount voucher which is Vision 20 which you put in and you get 20% discount off prices plus free postage. Well, that's right and I was going to mention that uh, that if people were looking for a, uh, a sample of this Coena cream uh, then uh, I did agree yesterday to say well yes, uh, let's uh, if you want to offer that discount for listeners today, let's do that. So uh, there is a discount for, that uh, Dr. Paul Turner has offered on that cream. Uh, just so far as that cream goes and uh, Rob's deeper questions about whether it can help him uh, going, having been through uh, I think you said uh, you'd been through some cancer treatment, things like yeah. that and the, and the in- right. inflammatory issues uh, this is the sort of thing that uh, where this sort of cream is useful Yeah, I mean my, the, the, the philosophy of my life if you'd like to give me a little bit of time is actually called Bring Balance Back it's really saying how do we restore some of the balance, particularly in in the less developed countries and with the world? And I think the philosophy of that has gone into Coena because what we have is a product that brings the balance back to your skin. Um, and so we bring the balance back to your skin and through a foundation which we've established is that should use some of that funds to bring balance back through, uh, through uh, projects that we're supporting around the world. Okay. Uh, Rob from Calandra. Yep. Rob from Calandra, thank you so much for your call. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Steve in Parks in New South Wales. Hi, Steve. Welcome. Yeah, good night, um, uh, brother Neil and Professor Turner. God bless you both. 
Good and, on you, Steve. Uh, I'd like to encourage Professor Turner to continue his research work, and I pray for a breakthrough. I'm just ringing up about, uh, does Professor Turner believe that garlic and high doses of vitamin C can help in preventative action of this awful flu? Okay, well, yeah. What are your thoughts here, Paul? Well, certainly uh, that would that would certainly help build your immunity up, and that's what we need. They're finding now that uh, the, the COVID nineteen, the people that that, uh, that 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 have severe reaction to COVID nineteen, is associated with inflammation and this sort of stuff in the body. So certainly that would help. Okay, and uh, Steve from Parks in New South Wales. Uh, so that was Steve. That was did you say garlic? And yep. yeah. and 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 what else? Vitamin C. Okay, all right. And some of those things are a part of the types of family traditions that are passed down. Uh, interesting one here, Dr. Paul Turner. When we're aware of some family traditions and those things that build up immunity, uh, those shouldn't be cast aside. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I sure. And I think the. Uh, the problems we're getting with antibiotic resistance is associated with with creating new stuff and not 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 using the old things. And so they're they're finding now some of the older medication is actually much more effective. Okay, uh, so we should we should. All right, thank you so much to Steve. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. If you want to join in our conversation, as we're saying, uh, multidimensional, and uh, just affirming that Dr Paul Turner is not an expert in COVID-19, but what we are hearing, of course, uh, from the tropical medicine point of view, is that there are some side effects and some similarities to the sorts of things where he's been working in these things in the past, uh, particularly around malaria and uh, we mentioned African river blindness and elephantitis and the malarial uh, anti uh, the reaction to the uh, anti-malarials that we've been hearing about Uh, Paul when we hear of uh, people like uh, President Donald Trump and and of course uh, there's been a study in France where 40 coronavirus patients uh, were given a drug called hydroxychloroquine uh, and uh, and and they experienced a clearing of the airwaves, uh, airways, and 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 that I think is uh, connected with the anti-inflammatory side of things too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and, uh, and I think it's all new days. This is a, n- a new virus, and we don't know a lot about it. And when you get a new virus, what you need what you need to do is learn a lot about it. You need to learn what it, what it, what its weak points are to try and find a way of controlling it. Uh, and what they're doing at the moment is is doing that. They're saying, you know, what the, the, the main part that's causing, uh, the main uh, aspect that's causing the problem of death in COVID-19 is inflammation in the lungs and the build-up of fluid in the lungs But from that. And so what have we got there in our arsenal already that we can actually use to do that? And in a lot of these medications they're trying at the moment, they're not even real sure why it's happening or where it's happening, but it is actually it is helping. And so you've got to go with with first principles. You try something and and it and it, and it seems to help, and we investigate why it's helping. But it all takes time. Uh, nobody can rush this because you know, it could be disastrous. If we don't if we rush it. 
Now, an interesting little sideline question, and just uh, just under a couple of minutes away from the news, so maybe just a, a quick response here. But scientists, yeah. uh, you've got secular scientists, you've got scientists who are Christian scientists, scientists who have a faith. Uh, you've clearly mm. been one of those who's had a faith. What difference does it make? when you have hope and faith in God, when you're actually going through a process where you're desperately scrambling for solutions? Yeah, and I think if I can relate that back to my, my depression, I mean, it was a very dark time for me. I, I lost lost my job and lost everything I had and was put into a situation and, I'm, I'm, and I could not understand that. But God has got a, you know, the times... The time frame for God is much longer than ours, and we think of things as being, we have to get an immediate solution to something. Uh, but that's not the way it works, and we need to, to stick with it. And along came that, what we term a light bulb moment, when God talked about inflammation and depression, and that was the way it all turned around. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it can be very difficult. I imagine that had you not been a person of faith uh, when you were in the depths of the clinical depression, you could not yeah. have called on God for his help. And uh, yeah. and the fact that you had prepared in your earlier years, even though you never anticipated the dark days of drifting into clinical depression because of the anti-malarial reaction, uh, that uh, yeah. uh, you could not have anticipated that, but God was there in the circumstances and bringing about good from it. Uh, Paul Turner, let's talk about the idea of scientists making breakthroughs and the sort of stages they might go through. Uh, give us some insights here into how you understand and how you might describe the scientific process that science, scientists are going through. Well, to me, uh, from a biblical perspective, everything is God-inspired. So when I, when I get an idea, it's come from somewhere, and I think all scientists around the world get an idea. You know, where does it come from? And I, so I believe all the developments we have is God-inspired. But for me, it's really seeing a problem looking at um, trying to find a solution by looking at it from different perspectives um, and then coming up with, uh, with trial and error to, to go through the scientific process to make that work. It all takes time, but there's a, it's a stepped process, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, and I think what, what we haven't got at the moment is, is people want a solution um, now for, for COVID-19. And these things take time, and I and I feel for the scientists who's working on COVID nineteen. Everybody wants to push the boundaries and try and get a solution out soon. But we want to make sure that the solution they come with is going to be really useful and very and make a big difference. Um, so that's what scientists are doing at the moment. I know you see the process here starting off something a little bit like a minor in a mine and the lights yeah. go out. Give us some impression here as to how you might describe the process that scientists are in as they are actually grappling for uh, getting solutions here. Yeah, a, a, a friend of mine who was uh, you know, one of our the senior Christian leaders in Australia told me once about a story where he, he's often asked by people, what are the steps I, I can do to turn out like you? Um, and he tells a story of a, of a man taking his young son to, to a mine for the day to give a look, to show what it's like to work in a mine. And he went down into the mine and, and um, they're walking around and it's all lit up and his father goes down the tunnel to get something. And while he's away, 
the lights go out. And so the the child is obviously anxious. There's not absolutely no light there at all. We can't see anything. And he calls out to his father, what do I do? And his father said, just stand still, turn the light on top of your, little light on top of your helmet, and what can you see? He said, I can see, you know, two feet ahead of me. And so he walks that two feet, and then the father says, now what can you see? And I can see the next two feet. And so he carry on. You know, and that's what God does. He doesn't often come with a, a light, a, 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 a bolt of lightning. He comes along and gives people a staged approach to get to a solution, which took for me 20 years. And along that way, introducing me to people which were pivotal in my finding a solution to, 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 to depression. But here he was, making me go on this path, not just giving me an idea 20 years ago, but the whole process of nurturing me as an individual and giving me ideas, working with people, uh, and 20 years later, I came up with that solution. Right now, Paul, doctors, uh, I'm talking in an overseas context, and I think it's the UK that I'm uh, reflecting. I don't have detail in front of me, but uh, doctors Mm. have been dying also from COVID-19. Scientists in the laboratory, while they're obviously taking all sorts of precautions, uh, they're also at risk. So to actually be involved in the whole process of finding solutions here is a very risky business uh, for scientists. Yes. What, are, what are your thoughts for scientists who are actually involved in, you know, close-up, front-line, uh, you know, uh, contention for uh, a solution here? Um, it's, a, it's a risky business. When you're trying to find a solution, and you're certainly at the early stages of finding a solution, it can be very risky. And I, I worked with a, a person who was in his 30s that died directly from the research he was doing to find a solution for something else. And, you know, it was a devastating time for me to see that, guy, that young man die from, from trying to find a solution that would help a lot of people. But it happens. And, and, but that's a risk scientists take when they work in, in new drug discovery uh, all the time. And uh, it's not really really known, but that, it does happen. I imagine that scientists right now who are working around the clock, around the globe, looking for a solution, uh, don't really tend to rest. I mean, we might think of a nine-to-five workday and switch off at the end of the day, go home. But I imagine if you are in the middle of particularly significant research and you've got some ideas that you might be on the edge uh, I imagine your mind doesn't close down as as easily at the end of a work day uh, give us some insights into what goes on in the in the mind of a scientist as they're actually searching for uh, for solutions but there is no there is no time you can turn off it's not like building or doing something practical where you just turn up and, and, and do it and go you've done something amazing but when you're using your mind as a way to create something new, it doesn't stop. And so it's a seven-day-a-week, 24-hours-a-day activity, which which is rewarding but incredibly tiring. Okay, and uh, tiring in itself. Uh, when we talk about praying for breakthroughs, uh, it's interesting the, uh, that we're often thinking of uh, praying for the political leaders to make a... Uh, the right decisions. But uh, breakthroughs yeah. here really comes down to what's happening with the scientist in the laboratory here because uh, this is perhaps an area of redirecting some prayer focus. 
If you're a scientist yeah. working on this sort of thing, how do you hope that a Christian community might be praying for you? Well, no, I think um, just giving the giving the opportunity to, to hear the voice in the amount of busyness that's around trying to find a solution, uh, you can tend not to hear that small voice that's giving you that that leading in, in an area, and to give them time of peace that they can actually hear that that small voice. I think it's incredibly important um, because we can just get tied up in the whole process, um, and and I, and I and I feel for scientists at the moment because. They're getting pressure from everybody to come up with a solution. Uh, and I think uh, the work being done in Brisbane uh, uh, is, is fantastic of what they're doing there on, on chloroquine and things. And so they need to be supported by the community, by political leaders, uh, but certainly by, by for, from a Christian perspective from, with prayer for that peace to try and work it all out. Because it is complicated. It's not a, not a simple thing to try and work out. Paul, a comment from a listener... Alistair on Facebook, who says, neither do they give glory to God. Now, you get the context. Uh, remember, our question uh, that mm. I'm asking today is about our scientists, heroes of the state or instruments of God when they're making breakthrough discoveries. Well, Alistair says, yeah. neither do they give glory to God or man. What about others who use their knowledge of health to find solutions for people? And uh, the example of a person who's a naturopath. Is there a naturopathic uh, type of dimension here that might be useful? I suppose when you don't have solutions, anything's possible. What are your thoughts on on natural medicines and things like that? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly open to natural medicines, um, and but I, I think we need to be, um, at this time when there's so, so much risk with patients, we need to be moving forward in a fairly... A conservative but controlled way, because we want to make sure that the information we give out to people is actually going to make a difference. Uh, because people can spend a lot of energy, and money, and time producing uh, or trying things out which which don't work, and and that's not what we need at the moment. We want people to be able to be patient and be in wait for some solution to be found. Okay, and uh, let me just give a, a little impression here. The question that we asked on Facebook, uh, are scientists heroes of the state or instruments of God when they make breakthrough discoveries? Uh, the overwhelming majority are saying that scientists are instruments of God. Now, that might yeah. be reflective that our listening audience, uh, coming from a, you know, probably primarily a Christian base, are saying, of course, we don't deny the divine in the biggest breakthrough discoveries that science makes. There are 3% who've taken the alternative and said, oh, they're just heroes of the state. In other words, God is not involved. There is a certain sense here in which sometimes uh, there are those who are even opponents of faith uh, that would like to drive a wedge between science and religious faith and uh, there's a certain sense here in which uh, which you can deny god but even if you did have a wonderful idea and some level of breakthrough and you were denying god that that idea didn't come from god in the first place <laughs> i wonder whether you've got any idea on the, the sort of wedge that people like to put in between science and uh, and christianity i think this is a, an, an issue going down for the for, for centuries, the, the, the difference between secular and sacred, and I think, yeah, to me, all is all, all is sacred, and whatever we do, we're doing for God, regardless of whether we believe it or not, is, is irrelevant. I mean, God, God is the the inspiration to everything, 
and uh, so people that get an inspiration and and to go on and do something it's really from a God perspective it's irrelevant whether the credit goes to him because it really the the whole outpouring of what's happening is is building the world and building people so I think we we try and put wedges in when when there isn't a, a division Okay, well, that's an interesting perspective there and uh, the idea that, uh, you know, whatever scientific understanding is there in the science community, we, as Christian believers, will always be able to align what is happening uh, to the way that God works, whether he's using someone who is a person of faith or whether he's using someone who's not. Uh, But there are those who are not that would be perhaps the ones trying to drive the wedge and saying that uh, somehow or other science is separate to God. In fact, a lot of people like to think of uh, things that are scientific. Uh, As long as it doesn't have God in the in the equation, then uh, then it it must be scientific. Uh, Interesting ways to to look at that there. So uh, so where to from here, Paul? If we're talking about the process that scientists go through in finding solutions, you've been looking at the headlines. You've been perhaps reading more difficult and deeper scientific papers than than the, the rest of us listening today. Where do you think the uh, the scientific community is going to in the solutions that they might be looking for for COVID nineteen? Well, well, I think that there are, there are two avenues. There's one which is a vaccine avenue, which is going to be uh, obviously important long term, and there's there's a treatment situation which is going to for, for people that that, that are that are currently infected and, and, and having some serious difficulties from it. And, and I think that there are, whole, there are whole groups working on different solutions. And nobody there has, has come up with the right solution. They've, they've come up with things which, or, or medications which seem to help. Um, the process is unknown. And, and I think that this time we're going to do more and more research trying to understand the genetics of COVID-19, understanding why it affects some people and not others. And the more research we do in that area, the, we, we can understand then the, the at-risk groups in our community and try and find solutions to protect them more. Uh, at the moment, we've got to protect everybody because we don't know w- what the, the details are. So as we develop more and more uh, understanding of these, the, particularly the, the genetic side of it, how we can then start putting together a clearer idea who we need to look after and protect during these times. For uh, those of us uh, ordinary citizens and uh, suffering the ideas of uh, social distancing and those sorts of things right now, uh, often not fully understanding the ways that uh, viruses spread the way that they do, and I know that scientists are still uh, working through the finer details, but uh, what are your thoughts on the way that the government and uh, the chief scientists around the nation have been uh, calling on us all to be socially distanced, and you know, what are your thoughts for the, for the developments so far and, uh, and the way things look? I think that everything that happened has been incredibly sensible. Uh, because when you have a, a, um, a, a, a virus that we don't know a lot about, it's a new virus, and we don't know what, who is it. We can understand a bit about the susceptibility, but we don't really know who's susceptible and who's not. What, well, we don't know the pathogenesis of what it does to people. And so when you're in that situation, what you have then is say, well, the only thing we can do is shut the borders, stop people bringing it in from outside, and then keep people isolated until we can understand 
the way how it, how it is transmitted, how it this, all those things. So there's a whole pile of research going on around the world by some incredible people out there that are trying to find these answers. And once that answers come through, and then we can uh, deal with this in a more effective way. But what they're doing at the moment is obviously the way forward. Uh, right now, uh, people are saying we'll not be safe until there is a vaccine. And uh, the vaccine, then, of course, you've got to get everybody vaccinated. And no doubt there's a process in all of that, too. Uh, The idea of vaccines and cures and the sorts of things we're talking about uh, with regards to these anti-malarial drugs in order to ease the symptoms, uh, all of these areas, no doubt, have to work together in harmony for an effective approach. Yeah, and it's got to be got to be one based on really good scientific evidence. Um, there'll be, I'm sure, a lot of things come out which will be based on, on on not a lot of clear evidence. But what we need to do is, is to be patient and wait, because that's, that's all we can do at the moment. Because you know these these things are very complex, and this is a new virus to humans, as we know, because of the mutation that's gone across to humans. Um, we just don't know. Look. Just a few minutes left in our conversation. I do want to come back to something you said a little earlier in our conversation because right now we're all washing our hands very much more frequently. We're using all sorts of hand sanitizers. And you said something which I thought was quite important. might just come back to your cream that you have developed, an anti-inflammatory, and that is that you're saying that the constant use of uh, all sorts of hand sanitizers may actually be uh, causing all sorts of issues with our skin. Uh, I mean, this is a whole dif- different dimension. But uh, but how uh, how does your cream actually uh, work on those sort of issues that come with uh, inflammation in skin? Well, I mean, every, by hand washing and using lots of hand sanitizers, it's going to cause irritation, particularly people with sensitive skin. And so, when we develop Coena, we actually um, developed a, a specific carrier, i.e. the cream base, which was especially hydrating for people with sensitive skin. And so it restored the balance back to the skin um, by using the, the, this cream base. We then added the Restoplex, which is the combination of anti-inflammatory. And so what you have is a combination of the two, which is great for people that are prone to eczema or prone to the, the sort of psoriasis. And it can get there and rehydrate, restore the balance, which is the key thing, and uh, and to make um, make your hands more less uh, uh, irritable in, in in this situation. Well, it is just one of the many dimensions we've been able to talk through in this past hour. The idea that uh, in a moment when you're in the depths of clinical depression. Uh, that you might have a light bulb moment that you realise was from God about the way that you might mix uh, those various elements and create an an anti-inflammatory solution for what was going on uh, with regard to issues in Africa and then a much more broad uh, use in in, in all of that. You developed the Coena cream and uh, Restaplex formulation you mentioned I know I did say a little earlier too that uh, you said to me yesterday 
you would like to make a special offer for Vision listeners today and and if they were wanting to get a hold of your anti-inflammatory cream, uh, then they can do so at a discount price. You've offered 20% discount uh, using a code VISION20. So VISION20 for listeners who might be uh, interested in getting a hold of that. Uh, just give us your website where people can access uh, this cream from uh, once more, Paul. Yeah, it's coena.com.au, so it's K-O-E-N-A dot com dot A-U. Okay, Co- Coena, it's K-O-E-N-A dot com dot A-U, and uh, there is a discount there for accessing that cream today. Uh, Dr. Paul Turner, uh, thanks so much for your insights today as uh, someone who's an expert in tropical medicine and in immunology and helping us to understand the process that scientists are going through. Uh, and a reliance on God for those important breakthroughs gives us another way uh, that we can direct our prayer into the throne room of God to have an expectation that there'll be a process that will go through and we'll find a solution to this dreadful issue of COVID-19. Dr. Paul Turner, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you. I enjoyed it. That's good. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.